be a better message than that. Open your Bibles, please, to Second Kings. Second Kings chapter number six. That's where we left off. You remember last week we talked about uh, blessed blindness and how the God blinded the the army and uh, led them back to the camp and then turn around and bless them uh, rather than slaughtering them as most people would have done. And that brought about a period of peace, according to verse number 23. Syria came no more into the land of Israel. But a new story begins in verse 24, where we begin our reading. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dung, a dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Obviously, they are in bad shape. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. You know, throughout the Bible, there are many historical events that are recorded to teach us spiritual truths. And that was the whole intent. I've often said that, you know, whenever we think about a, a, a teaching children, for example, it's often the case back years ago that teachers used flannel graph. You know, some sort of a visual illustration so that the kids could just get it. Well, uh, there is a sense in which the Old Testament is God's flannel graph. It's God's object lessons. And absolutely every story there in some way or another can be taken as a shadow or a type because there's some spiritual truth involved in it. And I think Paul made that you know, abundantly clear whenever he talked about those things that were written, the foretime were written, you know, for our learning, for our admonition. So there's there's something here in this story that that is for us even today, besides just the historical record. So I want to trace the story, discover the truth, and then make an application to our situation today. The first thing that jumps out at us, of course, is the problem itself. And as long as we're in this world, peace is never going to be permanent. There in verse number 23, you'll notice that there is a period of peace. But, but in the very next verse, 
And evidently, from the best I can tell, and we don't have any clear-cut evidence giving us a timeline here, but more than likely it is some years later, going from verse 23 to verse 24, there is another conflict. And the problem is twofold. Number one, they're shut up within the city, verse 24. Number two, they are surrounded by a powerful foe that is determined to destroy them. I mean, you know, they're prisoners in their own homes, uh, and this is what's going on. But then notice that they're not only shut up and surrounded, but they're literally starving. There's such a shortage that they resort to cannibalism. I my mind cannot conceive of eating another human being and much less the flesh of one of my own children. I, 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 just, I don't know. I, 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 can't, I can't imagine how anyone can get there. But make no, make no question about it. There is no limit to what the mind of an unbelieving people can do. And we can see examples of that through all of history. There, there is just no limit. I think back to the time when I was growing up as a boy and how things have changed since then. And we're, we're seeing things today that really I thought we'd never see, not at least in my generation. And things can change so rapidly. And whenever man turns his back on God, Romans 1, you remember? When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. And what happens? God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient, those things that are unbecoming, things, things that we could never imagine. And that's what's going on here. And we've got this woman, you know, making a petition to the king uh, because she's been cheated. They ate her son you know, yesterday and the day that they were to eat the other boy, that mother hid her child. But can you imagine the terror that these people must have felt being in a situation like that? And whenever we look at that, I think it's easy to see that all of this is typical of sinners. It's easy to see a parallel, you know, between these folks and those that are unsaved. For one thing, all of them are included. Everybody is in the same boat here. The king, all the way down to the lowest servant, all of them's in the same boat. And so there's none of them, you know, that can say, well, boy, yeah, they've got it bad over there, but, but I've got it good. Even the king said, what can I do? He couldn't change the situation. So all of them are included, just like all of sin and come short of the glory of God. All of them are facing death, and nobody could help them but God. He was the only one that they could look to and rely upon for help. Now, look at chapter 7. We're going to jump there because this is the story picks up there. We don't have time for all of the details, but there's really been no change other than the fact that some of them are blaming everything on Elisha, of course. But whenever we come to chapter number 7 and verse number 1, and on down through verse 8, we see the provision itself. And Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shackle, and two measures of barley for a shackle in the gate of Samaria. 
And then the Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. So the provision, first of all, is predicted by Elisha. And I think we all agree this prediction seems absolutely impossible. Uh, he's in, in other words, tomorrow everything is going to change. You know, everything's going to be all right tomorrow. There's going to be plenty. Uh, won't have anything to worry about. And obviously, according to verse 2, it was met with denial, just like in the preaching of God's Word today. Even though it is true, there are going to be many that are going to deny it. Even though it seems impossible, there will be many that will reject it because, well, it just sounds too good to be true. I uh, like, you know, what the old preacher said many years ago. Somebody came to him and said, you know, I, I really have a hard time believing in heaven. It just sounds too good to be true. And he said, no, you got it wrong. It sounds so good it must be true. And that's kind of the way I look at it. Only God could do something like this. So the provision has been predicted by Elisha. Now, notice verse number 3 down through verse 8. We're going to see the actual provision itself. Verse 4, And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? And if we say, now remember, these are lepers. They're not invited into the city. They are rejected, and to even go into the city, they could meet with death, and they realize that. But they're in dire straits. They don't know what to do. And so... Verse 4, if we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. They rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians, and when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses even the camp as it were, and fled for their life. Boy, you talk about a supernatural provision. This is it. It's so amazing what God can do. I, I don't know if you've ever read the account of the Six-Day War. I, I know, you know, Brother John and Brother Jeff and Brother Fred and some of you that really are into history, uh, you've read that account. But it's it, it just mind-boggling. When, when you read about the Six-Day War and how God gave the Israelites the victory, it's like, wow, did that really happen? I, I mean, it, it's miraculous is the only word for it. It, it. God did something that is supernatural. And here we see, looking way back in history, God's supernatural working for the sake of His people. And, and by the way, this was not only a supernatural provision, but it was suitable. I've often said, you know, God's, God's miracles are not 
for the purpose of entertaining us, but rather for educating us. They are miracles with a message. Now, you remember when Jesus ministered upon the earth, there were many that followed him hoping to see a miracle. Man, they would just go everywhere because they'd heard about what he did over there. So they're following him down the road and they're just hoping he'll do something else. But all of them are miracles with a message. And no doubt there is a message in this here also. And it, it was sufficient. I, I think about the Syrians leaving the camp and the, the leave the horses behind. I, I, I'm, you got to be in a hurry to do that. I mean, if I'm getting out of Dodge, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be on the back of my horse because I figure I can travel faster and further than I can afoot. But they, they were so confused. The noise that they heard chariots and horses and a host, in other words, an army advancing, they, they thought they could hear or did hear all of these things when there's really no threat whatsoever. And so they hear this and they, they just leave everything like it is and start running out of town. And they don't tell them how many miles down the road they were by the time that these fellows got there. Now look at verse number 9. And, and, and this is the part of the story that really relates to, to the song tonight. Verse number 9. And then they said one to another, we do not well. Now remember, they have, they have discovered all of this food, all of these provisions and they're wondering, what in the world do we do? And they said, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied, and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And, they, and he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. This gets really more amazing all of the time as they begin to share the message and keep in mind that God is using these men to share the message. That's the way God has chosen to work. You know, God could have, uh, you know, he made the noise that frightened the Syrians. God could have just, he, he could have spoken clear language, loud, enough for everybody to hear and said, okay, the coast is clear, you all go ahead, you know, there's... Everything there that you need, the Syrians have fled. I got rid of them. God didn't do that. God decided that he was going to make the provisions known to others by using these men. And remember, these are men that have just experienced the blessings of the Lord, and, and they were never the same after that. I've noticed that most of the time, those that are most anxious to witness to others and tell them the glad tidings, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, most of the time those that are most anxious are those who have just recently been saved. I mean, they, they have found what their heart has been looking for all of their life. And they are so thrilled. They want to share it with everybody that they know. And so they have experienced this blessing. They want to share it with others. And 
How could you not share it with the other? We're talking about people that are eating their own children. They're starving to death. And you have discovered what they need. And to sit back and say, well, man, I mean, look at what we've got. And just sit there in control, as it were, of the camp and uh, feast upon everything available and to let others go without. How, how could you do that? But keep in mind that although God used men, that these were unlikely servants. It says that they were four leprous men. You would think that somebody like that would be absolutely good for nothing. You know, what good are they? You know, their health problems disqualifies them, you know, in our mind for being of any great use. Who's going to listen to a leper anyway? So these men here, by all appearance, are unlikely. And yet, what did Paul say? That God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. It's so amazing. Don't ever for one minute think that because of your limitations, your handicap, or whatever it might be, don't ever think that God can't use you. God can use you. Look, if you have discovered Christ as your Savior, if you've trusted Him, you've got exactly what others need, and God can use you to get the message out. And, and evidently, they feared disobedience. Look again in verse number 9. They said one to another. So this is just not one controlling the conversation. Each one of them takes their turn saying the same thing to each other. We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we, and, and, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come unto us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. And so these men feared being disobedient, and, and we ought to. Remember what Paul said, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now, look, if that was true of Paul, that's true of every child of God, because every single one of us, every Christian has a responsibility to share the gospel with others. And the amazing thing about this is there in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 7, these men regarded themselves as expendable. I mean, we're either going to die out here or we're going to die in there, so we might as well go in there, you know. We might as well take a chance or whatever it is. And they got to the point in their life that their life no longer mattered. That is exactly what I read when it comes to the Apostle Paul. He said to depart and be with Christ is far better, but that it's more needful that I stay here. Why? Because he was needed there where he was. And he said, I count not my life dear unto myself. When they tried to dissuade him from going to, to Jerusalem there in Acts chapter number 17, they're begging him, pleading with him, you know, don't go there. They're waiting for you. They're going to kill you. And it's kind of like he shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't count my life dear unto myself. You know, if they do, they do. But I've got a job to do. And he was willing to lay it all on the line. And that's why he said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about considering yourself expendable? You know, as I said this morning, our, our biggest problem, my biggest problem, your biggest problem, our biggest problem in some way or another is rooted and grounded in pride. The fact that we do not 
we do not see our great need of God. That's what it boils down to. The pride that says, you know, I'm sufficient in of myself. I don't need God telling me what to do. I don't need Him directing my steps. I don't need Him watching over me. I don't need Him trying to control my life. You know, I'll take care of it myself. And that's what pride does. And boy, it puts us on dangerous ground. I'm glad that God still uses people today. Aren't you? I mean, we look back here and we read this, uh, this story that happened so long ago. And we think, boy, that is so wonderful. It's just great to see what God used to do. Well, let me tell you, God still wants to do great things. We live in a state of emergency. And, and I think sometimes we lose sight of the sinner's serious situation. It's kind of like we just assume that, oh, well, they'll be all right. You know, maybe somebody else will tell them or oh, maybe they really are saved or what. We, we jump through hoops trying to justify our disobedience for not telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, if we ever needed what that song Jennifer was singing a while ago, it's today, Lord, set my soul afar. Don't, Lord, don't let me be contented with just sitting back because there are billions of people today just one heartbeat away from the devil's hell. And look, folks, if we don't tell them, nobody else is. I mean, that's not only our responsibility, that ought to be our great delight to be able to share that good news with others. And probably every person here can think of someone in your family. You don't have to look at your co-workers, your classmates, and your neighbors, but someone in your family that in all likelihood, they're not saved. And in some cases, it's absolute. You know they're not saved because they've never made any profession of faith whatsoever. And sometimes we just, I think, well, I think we just maybe get weary of trying and we give up. Let me encourage you, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Keep on till the day that you die Keep witnessing for the Lord. Keep sowing the seed of God's Word. I don't mean you have to crawl up on a soapbox and preach a sermon every time you see them, but you can do something. You can do something to communicate to them the goodness of God. Remember, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. And we can all do that, and it's important that we do. And so here God is using these people in a time of emergency and uh, without any time to waste. They could have said, you know, we have found a great deal, and I'll I tell you what I recommend. Why don't, why don't we just start our own community here? Look at, all, look at all of the things we've got. We'll start our own community here. And, uh, or, or they could have said, i tell you, let's just make the best of it for a month or so before we tell anybody. You got any idea how many people would have starved to death? How many innocent children would have been slaughtered for food during that time? You know, had they just put it off? There was no time to waste. And we need to understand that the same thing's true today and to have a sense of urgency about what we do. As someone, I believe it was Vans Havner, said many years ago, he said, I've seen paper boys you know, selling their newspapers with more zeal and enthusiasm 
than Christians proclaiming the good news of Christ. Boy, is that ever true. I mean, here, back years ago, it's not so much, you know, that way today. The newspaper's about out of business, thank God. <laughs> but back then, the newsboys would stand on the street corner, you know, and they'd shout out the news, the headlines, and encouraging people to, to, you know, to buy a newspaper. That's the way they made their living, selling newspapers. And, boy, they put everything they had into it. And we as Christians need to realize that we have the very message that the world needs. Turn, turn over before we, before we wrap this up. I, I want to read a section in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And here we find Paul speaking about what Christ did, the sacrifice that he made. But I want you to notice the part whenever we get down to about, oh, verse 18. He says, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. And hath committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. You might not know it, but you're in the ministry. If you're a child of God, you're in the ministry. You might be disobedient to the Lord, but you are in the ministry. There's a work for you to do. He goes on and he says, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And here's the one verse I really want you to hang on to. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconcile to God. Have you ever thought about being an ambassador? An ambassador, notice he says here, an ambassador for Christ. He has commissioned us to go to a world that is lost and dying. And, 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 and through, through what he has promised and through what he has taught us, by way of illustration throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we learn that we can really make a difference. You can make a difference. Now, none of us can do everything. And sometimes, you know, the older we get, the less that we can do. And that's a frustrating thing. But none of us can do everything. But all of us can do something. All of us can do something. Think about the possibilities of just and, and, and I, it thrilled my heart yesterday whenever Janet, who we had the car wash out there, and I, I was standing there, they were washing my car, and Janet pulled up and was talking about uh, the fact that, she said, we're going to have three new ones there tomorrow. And I, I said, and you could tell she was really excited about it. And I said, that is great. I, you know, who, who is it? Well, it's three, three, three kids live over on the, I don't know whether they're here tonight or not, three kids live over on the, uh, outside of the bridge on 1960 in Huffman there. And uh, she had uh, said to the woman, the mother or grandmother, uh, wh whichever, uh, what's your address? I'll come and get them. I'll bring them. They've been wanting to come. And she, so I'll come and get them. Well, Daniel found out about it. And Daniel said, no, give me the address and I'll go over there in the van and I'll pick them up. Well, it doesn't make any difference who picks them up. But it was it was refreshing to see somebody excited about we're going to have three three new kids here tomorrow. Amen. That is wonderful. Look, that's the attitude that we all have. 
you can't do everything, but you can do something. And sometimes just encouraging someone to attend church with you and to sit down and to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's in Sunday school, children's church, or whether it's here in the auditorium during the worship service, that can result in them receiving the very thing they need more than anything in all of the world. And that's the gift of salvation. I like what somebody said, uh, sharing the gospel, the good news, is one beggar telling another where they can find bread. Isn't that great? That's what's going on here, these lepers. I mean, these guys are beggars. They're totally dependent upon society. They can't get in and mingle with the people. They're cut off from the general population. They're wandering around out there. They're about to starve to death. They're like beggars. But boy, when they found the bread, they said, we've got, to, we've, got to go tell, we've got to go tell the king. We've got to go tell others. We've found what they need. And if you're a Christian, you've discovered exactly what others need. We, we think about, you know, the weight of that responsibility, and we should. But again, I want to emphasize the fact that it, it ought to mean more to us than just the fact Oh, boy, we have this great responsibility. Well, indeed we do. But why wouldn't that be the great joy of our heart? To, you know, to, to share something, the most important thing in all of the world, and to share that with others. Don't you dare miss an opportunity to tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, not only is it what they need, but let me tell you, if you're a child of God, it's what they need, but it's what you need to do. And they said, and they understood, it's not going to go well for us if we keep this to ourselves. And if God has commissioned us to go and tell others and we don't, that is disobedience just like ignoring any other part of God's Word. We put so much emphasis upon the sins related to our actions. Somebody does this that they shouldn't have done, and boy, we jump all over that, you know, their action is sinful, and sometimes it has to do with their attitude. It's not that they're doing something wrong, but they got a horrible attitude, and that matters to God. But sometimes it's not an action, it's an absence that we just, you know, it's not that we're doing something wrong except for the fact that we're not doing something we should be doing. And, and all of us need to make it our mission every day of the week and every opportunity that we have to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ because He is what the world needs. And, and I hope you'll make that kind of a commitment. You say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. And, uh, and I'm going to make a commitment tonight. I want God to use me to go out and tell these other beggars where they can find bread. Would you do that? Let's stand together, Brother Nolan, if you'll come, Kathy. As we sing a verse of invitation tonight, if you're here, and, you know, I don't know what God might be saying. It might be somebody's here tonight that's never eaten of the bread of life. You don't know Christ as your Savior. And I want you to know he's what you need tonight. Just as the lepers told others about this great discovery, I'm telling you that 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find absolutely everything you need. The only thing that'll satisfy the longing of your soul, will you trust him tonight? And if you have trusted him, will you commit to following him tonight and telling others while we sing together? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all 